Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete that keeps crawling its way Keep your heart off your sleeve Guppy Productions present From Colchester to Sulawesi Written for Colm Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. Episode 14. The Naming of Sebastian. So, I'm back in Bohowo and glad to be here with Tim and Julie, our friends of the free spirit. I could do with some of that rubbing off at the moment... And if I have to be here without she who gives meaning to my life, then there's no one else I'd rather be here with. During their last visit, they had begun to forge their own relations with the village people, and I'm glad of that also. Ostensibly, as always, I'm here to work, to organise, to be the provider of money, make final decisions and so on, as well as to be the white face of Bohoro Lodge, so that people will get used to having us around. Tim and Julia are here to have a holiday, and I'm relieved sometimes to dive into that particular slipstream and follow them underwater. This time we also dive Lembe Strait, which is a quite narrow expanse of water between the mainland and a just offshore island, better than an hour's drive or boat trip from Bohowo. Going by boat is the best, as you follow the beautiful, rugged and mostly deserted coastline around the very northernmost tip of Peninsula Sulawesi, before turning south and entering the strait. But it's hard on the boats and heavy on fuel consumption, so mostly we drive there. On the face of it, this is an unprepossessing place to dive. It's a shipping lane to and from the busy port of Bitung, black sand and very little coral compared to Bunaken. It's also a rubbish tip for the passing freighters, and the seabed is littered with plastic containers, glass bottles and so on, but to dive here is to enter a sub-aquatic world like no other. This is critter diving, and inside every plastic container and glass bottle there live colonies or individual fish or other marine life, the likes of which I have never seen before, most of it no bigger than your thumbnail. But hours can be, and are, spent here, shallow diving to 20 metres or so, with your mask glued to the seabed, and in a state of preparedness to encounter anything that's weird, because most of it is. When the air runs out, we do our safety stop to degas from the nitrogen and rise reluctantly to the surface, having experienced something quite extraordinary and unique. And there's only one dive centre in the entire strait, so we always have the water to ourselves. A welcome diversion indeed from my responsibilities at the lodge, which I undertake with a glad heart, but which are responsibilities nonetheless. It's odd being at the cottage on my own, and especially now without Buru, 
who we both miss so very much. While Phil's away, I've decamped to Carol's house rather than stay on my own in the cottage. It is an easier commute from there, near to Gatwick for when I have to fly north, and it is great to spend time with the kids. Carol has given me, Mummy and Janet, a duplicate set of photos which she took on our trip. It is lovely to be reminded of the great time we all had, but it doesn't help with the fact that really I want to be back there again. I went to Mummy's for Sunday lunch and inevitably the conversation was dominated by Bohowo. Our recent trip clearly left a deep impression on her and it was good to relive the experience together. We laugh about the goats which run loose everywhere as we pass through the Muslim villages on the road to Manado and the pigs and chickens roaming free in Bohowo. She's impressed by the village, the sense of community that still exists there, where front doors are left open and no one goes hungry as someone will always provide a dish of rice, fish and vegetables to those in need. She is amazed at how clean and well turned out the people are, despite having no running water, only a mandy to shower by, which is no more than a bucket of water and a scoop. No washing machines in Bohowo. Everything is done by hand and water from the wells and dried in the sun. She also loves the fact that the village children look so smart in their immaculate school uniforms as they walk to and from the primary school. Red and white uniforms from Monday to Wednesday, brown and mustard on Thursday, batik on Friday and sportswear on Saturday, as is standard throughout Indonesia. None of the children has far to walk on any day, but they often walk barefoot through the village and put their shoes on at the school gates, either to save shoe leather or so as to arrive wearing perfectly clean shoes. I'm not sure which, but it's an endearing habit in any case. I confess I'm relieved at how well Mummy has accepted and even warmed to the idea of my leaving, which was never a given. But she has never once spoken out against our plans. I guess something which helps in this regard is that she is a well-travelled person herself, and especially in recent years since Daddy passed away. But in any case, having maternal support is important to me, if only because if it all goes horribly wrong and we're back in six months' time, there will be no I told you so. In the matter of delicate family politics, such things are important. It is morning you are near me Standing close, speaking clearly The light rushes in the morning light Through blinds in little fragments When the winter come in swift again Asks nothing, simply wanders in Making small cutting Darkening in the dark I whisper, wonder, wait for what He's waiting there invisibly 
that begins time to tick And our days will not be long enough To say I had known your touch Enough as to be satisfied I wonder what is next It is morning, you are near me Standing close, speaking clearly Light rushes in the morning light It's a habit of mine to take a stroll through the village about once a day and down to the beach, sometimes stopping for coffee at Aris's house on the way, and yesterday morning, as I arrive at his front door, I learn that during the early morning, Melda has given birth to the second child of her and Newman, and the child is a boy, brother to Einstein. Aris and I sit outside and chat in our Inglonesian, and he casually asks me in conversation what I think the child should be called. The first name that comes into my head, and about my favourite boy's name, is Sebastian. So I suggest this, thinking that this would be the end of the conversation. What actually happens is that Aris goes inside and fetches pencil and paper and asks me to write the name, which I do. He then stands up and walks the short distance to Newman's house, returning a few minutes later to his coffee. I ask him what's going on, and he tells me that the name is quite acceptable, and even if it wasn't, the boy will be called Sebastian. Oh, and by the way, Newman has asked if I will be the child's godfather. This all takes me rather by surprise, but... Yes, of course I will be Godfather. The fact that, as everybody by now knows, I don't actually believe in God, apparently having no bearing on the matter. The business is thus settled, and in future, when he can talk, Sebastian will, as a mark of respect, refer to me as Nanny Phil, and Paula will be Nanny Paula, as everyone takes it as given that she will be Godmother. To be asked to name a child is an honour, and I am honoured. And here is something which further cements the ties between Newman and I, and is further testament to how we have been accepted into this small and tight-knit community. I don't see Sebastian on this morning, that is not necessary, and Aris will convey to the parents my willingness to be godfather to their son. So I continue on my way musing to myself that around here you never know what's going to happen on a short walk to the beach. Later I learn that Sebastian's middle name will be Timothy, in honour of Tim, and all in all, it's a happy occasion for all concerned. Bonnie and I have found a way to have a kind of armed truce. We maintain a facade of friendship whilst we're together, and we play some hard games of chess in the evenings. I think that Oni is rather fighting with his conscience. On the one hand, we are, at one level, still friends, and even before we have moved over here, he and I have been through a lot of shared experiences which have bound us together. 
We are still paying him, of course, so he's reluctant to obviously make life difficult for me. And whatever one may say or think about him, he's been the means by which we have built our tropical home. And none of this would have been possible without him. He's been handling amounts of money which, previous to our meeting, he could scarce have imagined. And that alone can be enough to turn a person's head. But he still has no real money of his own. Whereas we do. And money would talk very loudly over here if it came to confrontation. I don't yet know what his agenda is, and nor perhaps does he, but he does have one advantage over us, which is that he is Indonesian and can more easily cultivate relations with people with whom we would rather he did not cultivate relations. If he does turn bad, and if we do have to fight with him, I have a sense that I'll always be playing with the black pieces, and he will always have the first move. Motherland, cradle me, close my eyes, lullaby me to sleep. Keep me safe, lie with me, stay beside me, don't go. Don't you go. Find out what further adventures are in store for Phil and Paula as they travel from Colchester to Sulawesi in the next episode of Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience.